0: Luke chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ has, um, now he has turned 30 years old. He has been baptized. He has gone through fasting and prayer and goes to his hometown, announces that he is God's anointed. They try to kill him. They are upset with him. And so he goes to Capernaum, and there in Capernaum, he begins to preach and heal people, and he identifies after a night of prayer 12 men over the next few weeks that he will ask to be with him. There are many disciples, but from all the disciples, he had picked 12 that would be with him and he would send them out. A difference between a disciple, a disciplined follower of Jesus and apostle, an apostle was made to go out. It would be like a modern day evangelist. It doesn't mean that Peter never pastored a church or other folks did not, but their, their primary job was to go out. Most of them, 12 years after Jesus uh, died on the cross, they were no longer in Jerusalem. They were in different countries of the world going out, sent out. And so these are apostles who took the gospel of Christ. They had been with Jesus, and they had shared the gospel in the known world for the Lord Jesus Christ during that time. Well, after he anointed them and he chose them, there were 12 of them, he now goes into a message. Now, it's the same message generally that we read in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's a condensed version, and it might be another message altogether. I'm not sure. As I shared with you this morning, sometimes a pastor uh, such as me, I might, I've preached a message in Peru a few months ago. I might preach that same message in, in Galesville, Wisconsin, tomorrow night or Tuesday night in the same thing. It would be a different setting. I'd probably say things a little bit different, but it, it would be maybe the general message that God laid on my heart some time ago. Well, that may have been what Jesus did, or it may be Luke's, recount, Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. It doesn't really matter for our, for our things, but what it does mean that after he chose his disciples, he said, now, I need you to think differently than you were thinking before. He tells them, he said, look, we, we, we marched to the beat of a different drum. I want you to listen uh, to him. He's going to tell them, I need you to keep as a servant of Christ to keep eternity in view. I need you to live for the hereafter and not for the nasty now and now. And he begins up, blessed are the poor. He said, the people that are maybe going through difficult times, uh, theirs is the kingdom of God. He said, blessed are those who who have, uh, have been stressed and, and gone through difficult times. He goes, one day they'll be filled. He said, blessed are those when men revile you and hate you for my name's sake. He said, that's okay. We're not doing this for the nasty now. Now we're doing this for eternity. He said, great is your reward in heaven. He continues to challenge them with several woes. He said, whoa, watch out. As a child of God, if you're going to follow me, watch out for the hook and the, uh, the attraction and the appetite for possessions and prosperity. Nothing wrong with having funds. Abraham was a wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea had some wealth. Nicodemus had some wealth. And using your wealth to do things, Theophilus potentially was a uh, Roman, uh, Roman um, bu- bureaucrat or someone who worked in the, in the Roman government. He may have had some money. Money is not the issue. Don't let it captivate you. He said, watch out for finances. Watch out for the, the, the yearning for prosperity. He says, I want you to watch out for the yearning that you'll have for pleasure and just wanting to be happy all the time and have an easy life and it just be good for us. And oftentimes, we, we oftentimes forget the eternal at the altar of the immediate. And we want to have, we want to have ease, a life of ease. I think about that little... That little that little martyr in Africa, when he got killed, they went back to his home, and he made a he made a little wrote it out. He says, "I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'll not turn back. Let go or be still. My past is redeemed. My future uh, and my presence uh, is is secure. My future makes a lot of sense." I'm finished and done with low living, smooth knees, colourless dreams, dwarf goals. He goes, I wanna, I'm gonna gonna pursue Jesus Christ with a reckless abandonment, and he did. And he says, look, be careful about the hook and the attraction of prosperity. Be careful about the attraction of pleasure. Be careful about the attraction of popularity. One thing I think is very important all of us want to blend in. We want to be light. We want to be accepted. There's nothing wrong with that. That just goes with being a human being. But that doesn't always go with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. He said, beware when everybody speaks good of you. Uh, You stand up for Christ, you stand out, and you raise your head in the crowd of of faithfulness to, to faithfulness to God, you're gonna take some heat. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ask Daniel. Ask any of the apostles, all of them, gave their lives in, as a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ, with the exception of John, and he was boiled in oil and exiled on the, road, on the island of Patmos. So they're not, everybody's not going to say lovey-dovey things about you and accept you. Once again, he says all of this teaching the disciples, we got to think differently because we are very self-absorbed. Right now, we've got in this room people, and the thing you're thinking about the next 30 years is everything that's going to happen in this life. Will I have enough to retire? Do, am I going to have this house? Am I going to get this thing? When are we going to get a new car? When are we going to get this? I want to make sure I have this. And it's, it's all wrapped up in this world system. Now, we live in this world. You're gonna, you need to think about retirement. You do need to think about where you're going to live. But the truth of the matter is, the farther thing that God wants you to think about is what does God put you on the planet to do? <laughs> Sometimes men, God gives them a desire to do something, but the wife is not on the same page. The wife is thinking temporarily. Sometimes it's the wife. She's ready to go on, but the husband is looking for uh, security instead of obedience to the Lord. So he's telling them, I need you to think differently about things. And then he tells them about uh, how you treat your enemies. He said, I want you to love your enemies. Well, that doesn't come natural to us. That's the opposite of what I'd like to do. Uh, when I have an enemy, I want to kind of pinch his head off and spit in the hole, you know. I want to just say, hey, look, I don't, I don't have time for this. That's, we don't want, we don't wanna, we don't want to, uh, to have opposition. But God said, I want you to be good to people that are against you. I want you to love them. I want you to pray for them, And those who despitefully use you. If someone comes and, and asks for your coat, and then they say, can I have your shirt too? Well, give them both. do will fight about it. If you loan someone money and they don't pay it back, don't, 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 don't worry about it. Uh, deal with that. If you can't give it away, then probably you shouldn't loan it. They say if you're going to lend something, lend it. But if you don't get it back and they can't pay you back, it's okay. You know, it's amazing, a sweet story in the book of Proverbs. He that lendeth to, the Lord, lendeth to the poor, what does he do? Gives to the poor, he lends to the Lord. Well, I've been amazed at that whenever you find someone you can be a help to that can't pay you back, that's when you're most like Jesus. And you'll find that in verse 38, he puts it in context, give and it shall be given to you. Learn to to share, learn to live. It's very interesting as disciples, so much of this information deals with finances. And God doesn't mind talking about finances. Sometimes I joke about this, but, but when you come to church and someone brings up money, 1,800 times God talks about money or possessions in the Bible. You know how many times you talk about prayer? They say less than 600 times. 1,800 times money and possessions. And, of course, the Bible says where a man's treasure is, there his, it's a heart matter. And you and I think about finding every day. So it's interesting. Sometimes people come to church and they'll say, you know, yeah, I do. I going to talk about money. And they say, oh, that's really offensive. That's all he talks about is money. That's not all we talk about is money. Good night. But we would not be a Bible preacher if we didn't discuss it. How can you ignore 1,800 verses of the Bible that talk about it? If you read the whole Bible, you talk about the whole Bible. And here's Jesus with his disciples says, look, we've got to talk about this. And he talks about lending. He talks about possessions, coat, clothes. He talks about retaliation. And then he talks about giving. Look at verse 38, if we can, please. He says, now give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure you meet, it withal shall be measured to you again. And by the way, giving is my part, measuring into you back again. That's God's part. By the way, give and it shall be given to you. What is the it? It's whatever you want to give. If you give mercy, guess what you're going to have a tendency to get? Mercy. You give people the benefit of the doubt, guess what you're going to probably get? Yeah. You give anger and, and you, you blow up and, and, and yell at people, guess what's going to probably happen to you? <laughs> You'll get it back. You learn to give financially, you're going to probably get finances back to you. you. You're stingy, whatever you whatever you want to do. And then it's interesting, who is the one who does this? He, God taps on people's hearts to give to a person who is a giver. God always gives givers something to give. When you want to give, God will give you something to give. That's one of the things I love about Faith Promise Missions. The other day, Linda and I were thinking of something. I told the Lord, I remember walking out of the office, I said, Lord, would you give me something so I can, I can share it? If you give it to me, I want to give it to this project. And you know, it wasn't too many days later the Lord did that. And he even gave me some extra for myself. I was amazed with that. I had uh, someone give me that testimony just the other day. They said, Pastor, I couldn't believe it. I, uh, it, was, it, it was just the other night, uh, one of our men, hope I hope I don't, I hope I don't uh, cause any problem, but he said, uh, I'm sitting in the balcony on the night we're raising money for land in Thailand. And I thought, oh, man, I need to do something. I'm a little nervous, so we just got new children in our home and more bills. and uh. But I, he said, but I was looking down front. I was calling everybody down here, and he was up in the balcony. He grabbed his wife's hand and his children said, let's go down the floor. I've got to make sure we do this. I don't want him to forget me and not to do that. He came down all the way from the balcony, stood in the back there, and raised his hand and said, Pastor, we're giving this amount of money. And we added that in the group. He said, Pastor, I was terrified, but I knew God wanted me to do it. He said, the next morning I got a call from my boss, and he, he uh, said, you know, things are going good at the company. You're doing a good job for us. And he gave me four times what I committed to give that night in a raise, in a bonus. I couldn't believe it. I told him, why didn't you give more? You could have got more than that. No. It's a beautiful testimony. I think everybody who gives has a story something like that. I'll never forget one night I was, uh, we were in church, and I was uh, on the platform. There was a missionary there, and we took an offering, and and I, I said, Linda, Let's try to give $75. She goes, I don't think we have $75. I so said, do we have it? So do we have, Yeah, but we don't have very much if we give that. I said, let's just go and do it. And she said, okay, well, let's do it. And she did, and she's usually the one who, who provokes me to do it, but this time I was provoking her to get angry and frustrated. No, I'm just joking. I wasn't. A, but she wrote that check, and we put it in the offering plate. And the next day I came home, and my wife said, go look in the refrigerator. Go look in the refrigerator. I went and looked in the refrigerator, and there was a check for... Um, for that amount that we suggested, 700 dollars plus extra money for tithe and extra money for us that was sent the last week before that time. And she said, John, that is just crazy how the Lord put exactly what we needed right there uh, even before we even gave it. But he gave us a chance to give and then gave it back to us within 24 hours. You know, the Bible tells us to give. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that verse. Start living it you'll believe it. How many say, Pastor, if, I, if you wanted me to, I could give you a testimony how God did that for me. Would you raise your hand? I would say everybody that's ever given anything that God impressed our heart to do, God is great. That's his promise. He says that you give, and it will be given to you. I want you to notice the verse before 4, that verse number 37. Would you look at that? Judge not that you be not judged, and condemn not that you be not condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be what? Okay, these are some attitude issues, and it talks about making judgment on people and, and not forgiving people. So you do it, God's going to help you. You give, and it, whatever you give... It will, be re- it will be returned to you, and God will tap others on the shoulder within your sphere of influence to give to you if you and I will learn to give. Let's look at verse 39, if you can, please, and I need to hasten. And he spake a parable to them said, Can a blind lead the blind? And they, uh, not both, fall into the ditch. Probably referencing the traditions of the Pharisees and the people that were continually giving him a hard time. He said, If you got a blind person leading blind people, both of them end up in the ditch. And, you know, in every false teaching, and we got some of it today in, in outside circles and even in our own circles, but every false teaching, you have two groups of people. You have, vic- you have villains and you have victims. Now, I don't know who everybody is for sure, but usually you have someone that knows it's wrong and you have someone who is just attached to the villain and they, and they are victims of bad teaching. He said, but both of them end up in a ditch. That's why the Bible tells in the book of James, if you see a brother err from his way, And you recover him. You get him back. You encourage her to come back. Boy, you cover a multitude of sins. You really help somebody. Boy, we ought to be careful. We ought to watch one another. And by the way, be humble enough. If you get approached by someone about something you're doing that's wrong or questionable, occasionally, that may happen. Boy, you've got a friend if someone will approach you like that. And say, I love you, but be careful about this. Be careful about that situation. Thank God for friends like that. But be careful about those matters. Look, if you would please, in verse number 40. And the disciple is not above his master, but every one that is perfect shall be as his master. Mature is the word for perfect in our Bible. And then he says, let's talk about faults. We've talked about our foes or our enemies. We've talked about our brothers and sisters. Now we talk about our, our faults. And why beholdest thou a mote that is in thy brother's eye? And thou perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eyes. Either thou canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the moat that is in thine eye, that thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam in thine own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. So he's going to talk a little bit about criticism here. And he says, be careful, because, and once again, Jesus was continually criticized. The Bible tells us that he that soweth discord among the brethren, is it's an abomination to the Lord. He can't stand it. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. Now, let me tell you, friend, not everybody in Christianity is going to dot their I and cross their T's the same way you and I might do it. But to his own master, let him stand or fall. We need to be careful about what we say about other people. And that's sometimes grievous when you see them. And sometimes people who go off on excess of holiness try to draw other people to their thing. it's very grievous. But be careful with our, because he's going to go on to say, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Here he's giving an illustration. He said, look, you and I oftentimes, because we don't know all the information, we'll try to pull a splinter out of our friend's eye while we have a telephone pole in our eye we got a baseball bat in our eye sticking out of our eye, and we're trying to pull some splinter out of somebody else's eye. you got a beam versus getting a moat or a small little thing. He said, if you can deal with your own, stay on your own side of the fence and deal with you. You know, when I think about this, uh, the Bible tells in Hebrews in chapter number 12, when he talks about people running their race for God, he says, first of all, I want you to remember that, um, that you got to run light if you're going to run right. You've got to lay aside every sin and wait. You've got to remember that there's a fan base watching you from the heavens and from the earth. You're always being observed while you're running your race for the Lord. Number three says, make sure you remember your focus, and that's Jesus. Keep your eye on Jesus. You keep your eye on, on men, you're going to get disappointed. You keep your eye on programs, you're going to get disappointed. You keep your eye on the church, you're going to get disappointed. You keep your eye on Jesus, you'll never be disappointed. And you'll be able to see clearly. He said, remember, while you run your race, it's not going to be easy. He said, you've not yet resisted the blood, striving against sin. Then he says, when you run your race, don't get angry with the Father. The Father in heaven allows many things along your race. You're going to lose children. You're going to lose friends. You might have to go through a financial reversal. You might get sick physically. There might be some things that disappoint you with watching two brothers get in a fight. By the way, that's stupid. You're going to stay in your own lane. He keeps telling us that in just a few moments. He said, don't, don't do that. He said, keep fighting, and then don't get mad with the Heavenly Father. He said, because the Father, if God isn't chasing you, He, he chastens every son whom He loves. So just like a, a coach, you know, He's going he's to he's coach His team. He's going to make them run exercises and give calisthenics and stay after it. Why? Because He wants them to hold a trophy up at the end. He wants them to be a champion. Well, he's going to push them. And he I don't want the players to get mad. Nick, coach, is so mean. He made me run. He made you run so you could win. And your heavenly father is going to have you go through some difficult times, so you will run your race. So you will value the importance. And then he goes on to say, you've got to be strong. You've got to lift up your knees, the feeble knees. Lift up your arms and, and, and realize you, you've got to have fortitude. But then he says in, in Hebrews chapter uh, 12, he says, Now, while you run your race, follow peace with all men, without which no man can see the Lord. Here's one of the most terrible things that you and I fall into from time to time. We're, if you run a race, you've got to stay in your lane. And you've got to keep your eye on the Lord, right? Looking unto who? Jesus. He says, So follow peace with all men. Here's what happens on many Christians. They expect their race to go smooth, and God's helping them, but they're not watching him. They're fighting with their neighbor over here. They're pushing. They're talking, hey, stop doing that. And while you're looking over here, because nothing blurs our spiritual vision quite like interpersonal problems. You get two pastors, and they don't want to get along with each other. Too prideful, too full of themselves, too opinionated to communicate, to work together. Instead, they write letters to everybody else how bad the other guy across town is. That's ridiculous. And you can't see the future. You've got Sunday school teachers getting mad with other Sunday school teachers or a bus captains getting mad. Look, that's, that's ridiculous. You'll never run your race. You'll never keep your eye on the Lord as long as you're fighting with people around you. And he said, look, Get the ball bat out of your eye before you go around and try to help somebody else. If you get the ball bat out of your eye and you, you know you're right with God, then maybe you can say, hey, brother, can I just talk to you about how you spoke to that, that person the other day or what you're doing with that financial decision? Okay, well, then, then maybe if you're clean and pure and you've got a relationship, you might be able to help them with their splinter. But you've got to get the ball bat out of your eye. you got get the two by four out of your eye. That's what he says. He said, be careful. You've got a beam in your eye and you're starting to criticize other people. One of the greatest sins of churches like ours and people like me is that we got opinions about everything. And we verbalize those opinions foolishly. We say, I, you know, I know who he is. Look, you don't need to say that. You need to stay in your lane and keep your eye on the Lord and let them stay in their lane and keep their eye on the Lord. Quit trying to fix their wagon. Especially when you're broke down on the side of the road with your issues. It's a problem we all have. I've had it, and I think if you're honest, you probably can say, yeah, I have a friend of mine who said, my spiritual gift is criticism. No, it's not. It's not your spiritual gift, man. (laughs) That's not a biblical gift. That's a spiritual sin, okay? (laughs) Then he goes on to tell us here in the next passage of Scripture, he says, a good tree bringeth forth, uh, I'm sorry, a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit. He talks about corruption. Basically, the, 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 sum, the summarization of this is what's on the inside comes out, out your verbal skills. It comes out of your voice box, your teeth, your lips, your tongue, formulate words that hurt people. And he says, because it's on the inside. This is in contact. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, you say stupid stuff. What's on the inside comes out. What's ever on the inside of a sponge comes out under pressure. What's ever on the inside of a tea bag comes out under heat. And what's on the inside of me, what's big on the inside of me will come out my big mouth. That's what it is. If I got issues with someone, I can't be around too long Well, I'm going to start verbalizing how I feel about that. He said, be very careful about that. Be, about, be, be careful about the criticism, but then you have to guard the corruption. And the corruption's on the inside. And it's just, when I open my mouth, it becomes obvious. Because you got a bad root, you get bad fruit. You got pure root. You got a pure root, then you get good fruit, and the fruit is normally by your fruits you'll know them. You listen to people talk enough, even a a child is known by his doings, and a fool can be identified by his words. Listen, as we conclude the chapter and as he concludes the message, he says, "Now, here's the invitation: Are you like a wise man who takes what I've told you, Jesus?" And are you going to be able to put the shoe on and say, "I, I got to fix this"? Then you're like a wise. Are you going to be a fool? You're going to hear it and then you're not going to do anything about it. It's invitation time. He says, "Now, if you hear these things and you do them, you're like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And when the storms came, the floods came, things come from above and they come from beneath. They're stable. They're steadfast. They're secure." Or, if you just hear and you don't make adjustments, then, he says, what's going to happen? Storms are coming. The rain's going to come, the floods are going to come, and if you don't have a solid foundation, you'll lack security, significance, and steadfastness. And then your house crumbles. So I find that here in this passage of scripture, he is speaking to you and I as Christians. And he says, look, John, I need you to think on an eternal plane. What I'm telling you goes against your earthly nature. But I need you to realize that if you're disadvantaged, you're distressed, you're detested, it's okay. We're not living for this life. We're living for the next one. Be careful that you don't chase prosperity. Be careful that you don't chase popularity. Don't chase pleasure. Enjoy whatever whatever you can enjoy within reason, but don't desire that. He says, learn to give and not expect reciprocation. Learn to love and not get loved. Learn, because if you'll do what you're supposed to do, I will give to you. You give and it shall be given to you. Be careful that you're not judgmental and critical. Be sure that you, you guard your heart because that's where the corruption is. It'll come out your mouth. Now, play it. And are you going to be wise and say, God, I, I, I know you talk to me, and I want to, I want to do it. I know where I'm wrong, and I want to fix it. If you do that, there's going to be stability for your wife or kids. I wonder how many children could have been raised a lot better if dad had listened and obeyed. See, obedience. I wonder how many pastors could have really had a fruitful ministry if they just were to obey what God told them to do. I wonder how many... Children could have a godly grandmother, and instead they have they have no stability because they heard, but they didn't apply.